Thank you, Laura. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and go with me again to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 this morning. Ecclesiastes 11. While you're turning there, by way of illustration at the start of our time together, share with you a life lesson that I learned in the last month. I feel like I probably should have learned it a whole lot sooner than I did, uh, but I guess I'm just slow sometimes. Uh, Coming out of Christmas, I decided, you know what, it's time for a new pair of shoes to run in every day, and so placed my order, was glad when they arrived, and was looking forward to trying them out because I realized, man, my old shoes are just killing my feet. Like, it's that time. uh, Hopefully, these will work better, and so started running and enjoying these new shoes, and like, man, this is great. And uh, for whatever reason, sometime maybe two weeks ago, I looked at the bottom of them, just kind of seeing how are they holding up and all of that, and I realized the back heel of my right shoe is pretty worn. Like, well, it's pretty normal. I think if many of you looked at the bottom of your shoes, you'd realize that the outside of your heel wears pretty quickly. Uh, I looked at my left shoe, and it's fine. I'm like, that's strange. I don't think I have one leg longer than the other. Maybe I do. Maybe I didn't know that all these years of life. And so I picked up the shoes that I wear to work every day, and I looked at the bottom of those shoes, my dress shoes, and both sides are worn evenly. I start thinking, like, why is it that my right shoe is worn a whole lot more than my left shoe? And uh, I don't know how it is for you, but as I run, I have time to think about this. And uh, it hits me a couple weeks ago again while I'm running that running on the streets in our development, they're like mounded you know, so that the water kind of sheds off of them. And I kind of wish I had measured. I didn't, but I'm pretty confident that if you were to look at several sections in our neighborhood, when you run on the proper side of the road so that the cars are coming at you, a little strange, um, that my left foot is probably like an inch or even two inches lower than my right foot. And my right foot is just pounding on that ground, and it's evidently wearing the heel out on that shoe faster than the other one. I'm like, well, this is a problem. And my wife's like, I've been telling you this. Like, when we would walk, she would go, okay, we're going to walk on this side, and then we go over and we walk on the other side. And I'm like, why do we do this? And she's like, because it's uneven. And so I had to acknowledge a couple weeks back, Melinda, you're right. Evidently, there is sense in running against traffic sometimes and running with traffic sometimes, even though I guess that's not what you're supposed to do. Running before 7 o'clock in the morning, I had this thought that, you know, there's not a lot of cars out. Actually, the best thing is not the right or the left, but right down the middle. It's really not hard before 7 right now to tell when the cars are coming because you see their headlights pretty good. And I've solved the problem about uneven shoe wear. Okay, that's free. You can take that home and go, all right, I'm going to look at the bottom of my shoes and figure this out for myself. Like, what does that have to do with Ecclesiastes chapter 11? I'd say it to us this way. There is a call in this text very clearly for us to enjoy life. You see it. You need to obey it. We need to believe the wisdom that it offers. And yet there is also a balancing thought in this text that calls us not only to enjoy life, but to do it by fearing and obeying God, remembering him as our creator. I think as we consider the thoughts in the text, there is a propensity for 
all of us to run on either side of the street, if you will. For some, it's like, let's just have fun. And there's very little regard given for what does the Word of God say? How should I live in light of God and His commands? It's like, nah, I'll worry about that later. Let's just have fun. Let's live for now. And then there's others running on this side. Sorry, I'm not picking on you. But you have the spiritual gift of like misery, pessimism, judgmentalism. It's like, forget fun. We got to obey. Let's make sure we obey. There's nothing good. And I believe properly understood, Ecclesiastes 11 and chapter 12 is saying, keep in the middle. Like, run here, enjoying the life that God has given, particularly where you're, when you're young, because it sets your trajectory for when you're older. But understand that you must do so fearing God, remembering Him, knowing that judgment will come one day. I don't know which side you find yourself on in life, we could ask it this way, which side of your shoes are being worn? But I hope that as we walk through the text, you will balance going, God, I want to enjoy life while fearing and obeying God. Sometimes we look at these and we're like, yeah, but you can't do both. And actually, by God's grace, in his wisdom, you can, we can. Now, I will say this morning, the text may cause you to spend time running over here. Because we're going to talk about 11, 9, and 10. And at the end of 9, a little bit into chapter 10, we start to go this way. Tonight, we come over this way. Because chapter 12 tells you, you're going to get old. Somebody's like, yeah, I know. Somebody's like, old? What's that? Old is like 35. It's higher than that, just so you know. Okay? But I think we need both what we see this morning, 11, 9, and 10, and what we see this evening, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, to realize while you're young, enjoy life, so that as you age, your perspective about God is rightly focused. So we look at the text this morning, we're going to break it down into three simple commands. They're really not too original with me, because they're there in the text of your Bible. We're told to rejoice, to remove... And to remember, to rejoice, to remove, and to remember. So let's get into the text here in chapter 11, verse 9, at this first command, rejoice. And as we do, we want to look at the responsibility as well as the opportunity that comes out of it, the accountability that comes with it. As we look at the responsibility, you'll notice with me first, it is to rejoice enthusiastically. Rejoice enthusiastically. We can hit that first word, verse 9, and see, okay, rejoice. And we're like, yeah, I did that while we sang. But there was no emotion. Like it was constrained Baptist worship. This word is more vibrant than just sitting there with a faceless expression. This word carries the idea of to shine visibly. We've talked about it a couple times in Ecclesiastes. This is not Eeyore. 
right? You go, this is exciting, right? Tongue-in-cheek in in my notes this week, I put, this is like watching the Eagles in the first half of the Super Bowl, right? Sorry. Okay. Man, this is exciting to rejoice, to go, God, look at what you've done. To see the beauty of his creation. To celebrate his working in life. To enjoy the relationships and the good gifts that he has given to you. If we're going to obey the imperative here, it means we will rejoice enthusiastically. So I ask you, how was your week? Right? I'm sure there were difficult parts for many. We're not denying that reality. We even touched it again in our scripture reading, right? Just in the verse before, remember the dark days. Remember the difficult days. And we're going to have to work to train our heart to process those and to then move from those to be able to rejoice in every circumstance of life. But we do not want to go days and weeks and months without being able to say, rejoice enthusiastically. Like, let it show up in your words and on your face and in your life that God is good. He is worth obeying. He is worth serving. And it can be fun. And that's okay. So as you understand the responsibility here, number one, it calls us beyond selfishness and pessimism to rejoice enthusiastically. Number two, rejoice presently. Rejoice presently. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. It's very clear a number of times in the text that we'll see this morning as well as this evening. He's writing uh, to the proverbial young adult male, a time when strength is present, opportunity is available. And he's saying in order to maximize your youth, enjoy this time, but do it with a perspective to please God. Right? He, he's not... He's writing to those who might be at a time in life where it's easy to live for self and to be impulsive, to be focused on the immediate. And he's saying, yes, enjoy this time, but think about the future ahead. Cast your vision beyond and do it as you rejoice in the immediate. You know, I was thinking about this phrase and this idea of rejoicing presently for a young person in this time of youth. I I realized that some, particularly those who maybe are a little advanced in years, might see, find, read that phrase and find yourself relieved. You go, man, this, this part of Ecclesiastes, well, that's not for me. Whew, I'm good. Like that rejoice enthusiastically thing Pastor just talked about, glad I don't have to do that one, right? But can I just remind us of what other scripture has to say? Like if we just stuck to Ecclesiastes, what did he tell us in Ecclesiastes 2 verses 24 to 26? He said, enjoy the portion of life that God has given to you. Or in chapter 3, verse 13, saying it is the gift of God. Or chapter 5, verse 18, that it's your portion. Or 8, 15, or chapter 9, verses 7 and 10. Like, over and over in Ecclesiastes, it hasn't been just young men. He's been saying whether you're eating, you're drinking, you're going to work. Here's what God has given you to enjoy the life that he's given to you. If we want to go maybe more directly and helpfully to those who want to argue with it, we just go to uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, or chapter 4, verse 4, right? Rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 3, verse 1 says. 
Or we go to the more familiar chapter 4, verse 4, which adds that word, always. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Young, old, right now. Rejoice in the Lord. Particularly for a believer, like if we move beyond Ecclesiastes to those verses in Philippians, from a New Testament perspective, we do have reason to rejoice. To live with enthusiasm. Why? Because our rejoicing is in the Lord. It's in our Savior and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ to find joy in a world that lacks it or tries to find it in all the wrong directions. But again, the text here in Ecclesiastes speaks particularly to those who are younger. An older, wiser man, the wisest man, who's kind of had everything that success has to offer, says, let me speak to those who are younger for just a moment. Enjoy this life. I think we'll see this fleshed out as the text continues to unfold both this morning, but even more so this evening. Do it presently in your youth because your decisions determine your destination. Your decisions will determine your destination. Like If you just run in life right here and think, well, later I'll come over and run in life over here, you're getting it wrong. He's saying you need to balance enjoying life with doing it in a way that's pleasing to God, knowing that both are possible. Because as you age, life will get harder. Sorrows will multiply. It's just the sheer way human existence works. Even if someone goes through incredible difficulty when they're young, they will add to that additional difficulties as they age. And so learn to find joy now, to rejoice now, so that as challenges and sorrows do multiply, you can rejoice and give glory to God later as well. Again, people will speak sometimes of the challenges of middle age to go, man, there's this time in life between youth and age where people are sort of purposeless or aimless. They're they have these disappointed expectations. They've, they've got pains. Maybe they've got uh, relationship challenges in a marriage or with their children. You know what helps us make the transition from youth all the way through middle age, all the way through old age? is by enjoying what God has given while fearing him. Obeying him. Saying, God, what you say determines what I do. And I'm going to learn that while I'm young because my decisions determine my destination. The responsibility, the command is very simple. Rejoice. We've said first, rejoice enthusiastically. Second, rejoice presently. Third, rejoice purposefully. Rejoice purposefully. He says, let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. I think this is helpful for us to stop and consider here for a few moments because the idea here is this joy and gladness that starts on the inside and then moves to the outside. So when we talked about the command to rejoice, we said it means to shine. Like, there's a sense of excitement. It is external. But it's not just all a show, right? Like, sometimes we can walk into church and things are kind of a mess, but we don't really want to let anybody know. It's like, how are you doing? Good? It's not that idea, right? He's saying, let your heart be what gladdens you, pleases you in the day of your youth. This isn't some decision to act hypocritically happy. Rather, to let your inside 
your will, your thinking, your desires drive that rejoicing. We know how the Bible speaks of our hearts. We've touched it a couple times in Ecclesiastes. Just briefly reminds you of a couple. Probably the most well-known and important verse is that verse in Proverbs 4, again, by Solomon also, in verse 23, where he says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Like, pay attention to what's going on on the inside, because you're going to live out of that. And so, God, I want to train my heart to look for the good, to rejoice in your working, to focus on who you are. Instead of letting my heart sort of self-implode and let my heart go, you know what, it's just selfishly wired. It's consumed with me. It worries about why all these things are going on and it, it sees these things as unfair and it complains about all these problems. Say, no, let your heart cheer you because you've worked at it, you've guarded it, you've kept it, and you're going to live out of it. Our hearts are to be oriented towards joy towards gladness. It's the mark of a new heart changed by the gospel, right, that we're living out of. Again, particularly as believers, we have the opportunity to rejoice in the work of Christ, the goodness of God through him, the forgiveness of our sins. You say, so God, would you help me be marked by joy today out of my heart regardless of my circumstances? Not with hypocrisy, but with sincerity. Again, this requires attention. It's going to require work. We're going to have to actually tend to our heart. It doesn't just happen. We kind of have to inform our hearts so that our heart will cheer us. And I believe that idea shapes our understanding of the next phrase. Because while he starts internally, let your heart cheer you, he moves externally saying, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. So then as your heart is doing this, go ahead and live it out. Walk in the ways of your heart, the side of your eyes. Both the heart and the eyes are means of desire, right? It's like, this is what I want in my heart, and I've seen this, and this is something that I desire. And he's like, so let what you've done on the inside begin to shape what you actually live out in life, enjoying that life while also fearing God. We've been looking at the responsibility to rejoice, saying do it enthusiastically, right? Do it presently in your youth. Do it purposefully by shaping your heart so that it shapes your desires and you can live it out. But beyond the responsibility, notice with me secondly in looking at this first command, the accountability. The accountability. Rejoice. Enthusiastically, right now. But know this, that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. It's this balancing phrase that keeps us from the error of selfishness. It's like, well, I don't really know if God's word addresses this. I don't really care. I like this. But it says, God, I need to hear from you. God, I want to know what your word says. God, I want to enjoy life the way that you want me to. Again, it's been in my mind a lot, but you go back to those early chapters of Genesis. We'll touch them again a little bit this evening. When you look at what God made, God did not make a miserable world. He goes, sorry, not going to really enjoy this one. Right? It was pleasant to the eyes. It was good for food. It was all very good when he was done. 
says, here's this world. And the serpent comes along in Genesis chapter 3 and in essence creates this temptation of discontentment. God's holding out on you. Did God really say? Well, in the day you eat of it, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Great, you'll have more. Not only will you know good, you'll know bad. Ooh, I'd like to know that. Right? Realize God does want us. God, God did make a world to be enjoyed. He tells us here, rejoice in your youth, but understand this accountability. That for how we live, God will bring us into judgment. In other words, the idea here, and know thou, if we want to be grammatically technical, know thou is also an imperative in the text. Yes, we're giving it as a subthought here. But it is an imperative. Be continually aware that God knows how you are living and will respond accordingly. Be continually aware that God knows how you're living and will respond accordingly. Now again, from a New Testament standpoint, we rejoice in the fact that God's knowledge and his judgment does not mean eternal condemnation for the believer. We are not at that judgment. But we do recognize in 1 Corinthians 3 that God does judge our works, whether they were done for selfish reasons or for Christ. We're being called here to live knowing that God does have judgment. He knows. Presently, he chastens. In the future, he will judge and reward. So let that shape how I live. Now, for some, there's this pull, again, that's like, oh, man, better be really serious. I better make sure. And we start to head down this road like, I can't enjoy the life that God has given. This text is balancing both thoughts for us once more. We can and must enjoy life. But that responsibility comes with accountability, which brings us to a second command here in the text. Verse 10, the command is to remove. Remove. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart. Put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. So we look at this second command to remove. Notice with me first, the responsibility is comprehensive. The responsibility here is comprehensive. It's first addressed internally. Once again, he touches our hearts. Therefore, remove sorrow from your hearts. That which you live out of does still need more tending. So take care of this cause within your heart. And again, I think that's instructive for us because this means it is not something else. It is not something that someone else can do for us. Like, no one can come into my life and go, Dan, I'm going to take that out of your heart, out of your desire. It's on me to obey this command, this responsibility internally. This word sorrow speaks of that which offends. Okay, sorrow is one kind of outcome of that which offends. Like, when you go through some circumstances in life, some interaction with people, there are things that can offend you and they lead you to sadness as a result. But there is also a very clear sense of this word when you look it up in a lexicon that that offense can also lead to anger. I can't believe that's so unfair. I don't deserve that. How could they treat me 
Why would God? It's like, be careful in your heart. So tend to your heart for what offends, whether it generates sadness or whether it generates anger. There are things that are going to afflict you, and so you have to grab a hold of how do you think about these things. I found myself in preparation this week going to the Psalms where the psalmist looks at his heart, and he speaks to himself, right? The most well-known of which is probably Psalm 42. Oh, soul, why art thou disquieted within me? Like, why are you all stirred up about this? It's offending you. It's, it's leading you to worry or to anger or to sadness. And he tells himself, hope in God. Like, there's reason to rejoice. And so we're being told, remove that which offends in your heart. Don't get all worked up about it. Let it go. It's so instructive to where we live, is it not? Because there are just certain things that sometimes they grab us. It's like, man, I know I shouldn't be irritated about that, but I can't let it go. They need to see it from my perspective. That just is not right. And he's saying, here's your responsibility. As you pursue this first command, rejoice, do it by removing that which offends in your heart. He starts again internally. But second, he moves externally. And put away evil from thy flesh. Put away evil from thy flesh. Like As you're going through life, don't go into that which is evil as well. This word for evil is a word that focuses on what is bad and the effects of what is bad. It's both. There are things that are bad, and with it come the effects. And so we understand that sin can have negative consequences in life. But there are also things that can happen to us that are bad, that bring about pain in life. And it's like, you know, as I'm processing this, I'm going to try to push this aside to go, God, I, I want to rejoice in your goodness. I want to be a source of joy. And so I'm going to process and work through that which is happening to me in life and push it aside. The responsibilities we've been looking at to remove is first comprehensive. But secondly, notice with me that the opportunity is limited. The opportunity is limited. Particularly speak to those who are younger, again, here in the text for just a moment. Because he says, for childhood and youth are vanity. We've understood and looked at how this word vanity gets used a number of different ways in the book of Ecclesiastes from the idea of this is absolutely empty, it is worthlessness, it is purposeless. But it also carries with it the idea of it's like the wind. It's continually moving. And so we talk about sometimes life is vanity in the sense of like it's chasing the wind. It's fleeting. It, you can't grab a hold of it. It's gone. Childhood and youth are fleeting. They disappear fast. Some of the parents are in the room are like, Absolutely. Those who are in like second and third grade are like, I'm not so sure. It's long. Like, math class is really long, right? But it moves oh so fast. And he's saying, look, while you're young, rejoice in the life that God has given to you. Deal with and process the sorrows and pains that come up. Because the enjoyment of life young is fleeting. It disappears oh so fast. I think I've shared it with you before, but I used to 
like, just think about that idea that, man, it's like, when, I, when you're young, a year seems like forever. And then the older you get, it's like, no, years really, really fast. Like, they move. And I was talking at one point to Jim Buchanan about that. This part I think I've shared with you before. I'm like, Jim, it's just amazing how the older you get, it seems like time just goes faster and faster. And he's like, that makes sense, Pastor. I'm like, okay, why? And he's like, because when you're young, like one year out of 10 years is a tenth of your life. One year out of 50 years is 2% of your life. Jim's got it, I think. The life is like that. And here's an older, wiser man saying, while you're young, enjoy life. That's your responsibility. But that opportunity is limited, is going to go fast, and there is accountability for it. Be careful, because for all those things, God will bring you into judgment. You know, as time moves on, life can get scary. Problems will occur. Bodies will age. Expenses will multiply. Reality will set in. Sickness will happen. So know that that's what the future has. And while you are in life now, enjoy it. But do it in a way that prepares you to continue to rejoice in life later. To find the goodness of God in life later. Don't live with the mindset that says, you know what, I'm just going to run over here. I'm not going to worry about that. I, I, you know, maybe when I'm late, maybe later I'll be good with God. Or, or even now, it's like, well, you know what, it's Sunday, so I better run over here on Sunday. Okay, it's Monday. Man. Right? And we're back and forth. Like, I just got to make sure the shoes wear evenly. Right? Instead of saying, God, I, I want to balance this of going, I, I want to enjoy the life that you've given, but I want to do it obeying what your word says. Fearing you. Building a foundation that sets me up for the future. So that I've lived while I was young with a life-orienting reverence for God. So that now that I'm old, I live with a life-orienting reverence for God. So that when I'm young, I rejoice enthusiastically in what God has done. So that when I'm old, I rejoice enthusiastically in what God has done. Two responsibilities this morning. Rejoice, all of us. And remove. Pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your walk. Remove. Tonight we'll look at number three, remember. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text and the challenge you've worked in my own heart to rejoice in the life that you give, to tend to what's going on in my heart, that, Lord, you might be glorified in how I live. But, God, I pray for each one of us here, whether young and just getting started or whether older, further along in the journey, that, Lord, you would help us to balance these thoughts well, rejoicing in the life that you've given, knowing that you will bring us into judgment for how we live, striving to fear you and obey you. God, thank you for this wisdom from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.